0: Well good morning Cedar Creek. Thank you. I appreciate you joining us this morning at all of our campuses as well as online. I want to give a shout out to all our spring breakers who are traveling, maybe tuning in. Appreciate that. Glad everybody's here wherever here happens to be for you on this uh, little bit cloudy, little bit rainy Sunday morning. I just have to tell you I am so excited to be here this morning not only to be back teaching after a couple of weeks off but you know what I'm most excited about this morning celebrating Easter with you now I know some of you are thinking I'm, I'm a couple of weeks early I've jumped the gun listen I realize that but I just can't wait and besides I figure if Christmas can get a month and a half celebrating Jesus' birth, we can spend more than one Sunday morning celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. So thank you, Jesus. I'm like on this individual mission to take back Easter, but, you know, there's really more to it for me than that. Obviously, I've always loved celebrating Easter and the resurrection, but you know what? This year is different. This year, there's more than just a desire to celebrate it. There is a desperate need to celebrate it for me. And and maybe for you. Because, see, I realize more, maybe now than ever in my life, that because of Jesus' victory over death and the grave, my pain is not permanent. And my loss is not an eternal loss. And church family, that gives me hope. And guess what? That hope is available for every one of us today. And you know what? That hope is so important. You, You understand that hope is an essential ingredient for life itself. You've heard this saying before, right? You you can go months without food. You can go days without water. You can even go for minutes without air. But you cannot go for one second without hope. And the resurrection of Jesus gives us that hope to hold on to, no matter what's going on in our lives. In fact, just check out what the Bible says there at the top of your outline, 1 Peter 1, 1.3. It says, In His great mercy, He, talking about God, He has given us new birth into a what? What does that say? Into a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ." From the dead that is real hope that's the hope you need to cope with the life you're living and so for the next three weeks I want us to focus on hope and today I want us to begin that journey by simply answering two questions one what is hope what do we mean when we say hope and then secondly how do we find that hope? How do we find the hope we need to cope? So so let's get started. First of all, what is hope? What do you think of when you hear that word? You know, sometimes the best way to define something is to discover what it is not. And the first thing you need to understand about hope is that hope is not wishful thinking. Hope is not wishful thinking. Hope is not closing your eyes and and crossing your fingers and just hoping that things turn out okay. Unfortunately, that's what many of us think hope is. You know, you're driving down the road, you're late to work, you got an important meeting that morning, and you're kind of stuck in traffic, and you're going, and you said, I hope that light turns green. Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't, right? The light don't care. What you want or what you need, it's on a timer. It'll turn green whenever it wants to turn green. And you can hope all you want, but it ain't going to change that light. That's just wishful thinking. And wishful thinking is not substantial enough to build your life on. Wishful thinking, which many of us go through life with, is just a desire to change something you have no control over. hope the hope of God is not wishful thinking number two it's also not optimism hope is not optimism and it's important to understand that because we often confuse hope with optimism but they're two very different things optimism is psychological hope is theological you understand what I mean Optimism is just choosing to look on the bright side of my reality. Hope is trusting in God no matter what the reality. Optimism is little orphan Annie singing, the sun will come out tomorrow. But hope is holding on to Jesus when the sun doesn't come out optimism is a good thing don't get me wrong I am an optimistic person I'm always looking on the bright side I'm always seeing the best it's good to be optimistic it's a lot better than being pessimistic it's a lot better than just always seeing the negative optimism is a good thing but it is not hope it will not sustain you when you wake up one day and realize there is not a bright side to your current circumstances Hope is not wishful thinking. Hope is not optimism. And then number three, hope is more than being expectant. Hope is more than just being expectant. Now, being expectant is a key part of hope, but it is not the heart of hope. You understand what I mean by being expectant? You are expecting something to happen. And your expectations usually are built on reality. There is some reason to expect it. It's not wishful thinking. It's grounded in a reason to expect. But things don't always turn out the way you expect, do they? I mean, let's say I go home today and I go buy some little tomato plants, some little tomato seedlings. And I plow up part of my yard and I plant them there and I fertilize and water them, do everything. I will probably say, I hope I have some tomatoes to eat this summer. And that's a realistic expectation because I've done the work. I've done all the things I know I need to do. It's good to expect that. It makes sense, but it's no guarantee, right? What if we have a late frost? Even though I've done all of that and expect to have tomatoes, I might not. We call a woman when she's pregnant, we say a pregnant woman is what? What do we say? Expecting. Why do we say that? Because she's expecting to become a mother. She is expecting to have a child, and she has good reason for that. She literally has a child growing in her body. That is a realistic expectation, but sadly, as some of you know from your own experiences, it doesn't always work out. See, you can't build your hope on realistic expectations. That is not hope. Real hope is more than just playing the odds. Real hope requires 100% guarantee. And that's why number four, the fourth thing we need to understand about hope, is that real hope is built on certainty. Real hope is built on certainty. The hope you need to cope requires more than wishful thinking, more than a positive mental attitude, more than your realistic expectations. It requires a guarantee. And only God can give you a guarantee. And here's the good news. That God has given that guarantee to every one of Look at what the Bible says. Hebrews 6, 19. It says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul. Firm and secure. Circle that phrase. Firm and secure. It is guaranteed. I love that imagery of an anchor for my soul. The hope, the guarantee of God is an anchor for my soul. I don't know if you've spent much time on ships or around boats or anything, but you probably know that boats need anchors, right? And you probably know how an anchor works. You drop the anchor, hooked to the boat by a chain or a rope. It catches on to the unchanging bottom of the sea to hold the ship still when the water moves. Ships anchor to stay in one place so they do not drift with the current. And that's what God's hope does for you. It allows you to anchor to the unchanging truths of God no matter which way the current or the culture or your circumstances drift. We all know that's what an anchor does. But I bet you didn't know that's not all an anchor does. I was reading this week about it and I discovered something I never knew about anchors. That ships will not only use an anchor to keep from drifting when they're stopped, they will also drop anchor when they are traveling through a storm. Did you know that? They will use the anchor not to stop them from moving, but to stabilize them while they are moving through a storm. See, an anchor will help reduce the pitch and roll of the ship, and that's what the hope of God can do for every one of us. It doesn't stop the storm, but it minimizes the pitch and the yaw and the shaking of the storms of life. That's what God's hope does. So can I ask you this? Where do you need an anchor for your soul right now? Maybe for you, you've got a relationship that's spinning out of control. Maybe you've got a financial situation that's just rocking around you. Maybe, maybe you've got a health issue. Maybe where you need an anchor is with your faith because you're struggling to believe and you're full of doubts. Wherever you need an anchor, the hope that God offers can provide it. But the question is, how? Where do we get it? How do you find the hope to cope? Four things I want to share with you. Not only from the truth of God's word, but from the reality of my own experiences. Number one, to find the hope to cope, the first thing you have to do is trust God's word more than my wishes. To trust God's word more than my wishes. Because you see, the the hope that God offers is not based on what I sense, but it's based on what God has said. The hope that God offers is not built on my emotions. It is built on the promises that God has spoken. And there are over 7,000, according to one count, over 7,000 promises of God. In his word to you. And every one of them is built on certainty. Every one of those promises is based on a 100% guarantee from God. In fact, look what the Bible says. Hebrews 10, 23. It says, let us hold firmly to the hope that we have confessed. Why? Because we can trust God to do what he promised. You can trust God to do what he promised. You know why we struggle with that so much? It's because we often look at our circumstances and feel like God has let us down. We look around and there are things we go through where we feel like God didn't do what he promised to do. And I'm just going to tell you, if you're ever in that situation, you need to understand the issue is not with God, the issue is with me. See, sometimes I will ascribe promises to God that God never made. I will assume that God has promised me certain things that God never promised, like the old song, I beg your pardon, I never promised you a rose garden. So you say, well, God promised that he would never put more on me than I could bear God never promised that. Life will become overwhelming, period. If you live long enough, your life will get more than you can bear. God's promise is not to minimize your circumstances based on your strengths. God's promise is to give you his strength no matter what your circumstances are. That's the promise. We think God has promised that bad things won't happen to good people. That's what we think. Why? Because that's what feels right. That's how life should be. Or at least that's how we wish it should be. If I do the right things, then the payoff is good. If I do the wrong things, then the consequences are bad. And many times that's how it works. But that's not a promise from God. Nowhere in all the Bible does God promise that bad things won't happen to good people. In fact, you know what God does promise? The exact opposite. You remember Jesus? talking to his disciples. These are some pretty good dudes, right? They're Jesus' closest friends. These are good guys, and you remember what he said? In this world you will have trouble. That's the promise, you will have trouble. But he doesn't stop there. Do you remember what else he promised? He said, take heart because I have overcome the world. See, God's promise isn't that bad things won't happen to you if you're a good person. God's promise is He's bigger than every problem, every struggle, every broken heart you will ever have. He has overcome it. That's why it's so important to understand what has God really promised me. That's why it's so important to spend time daily in God's Word. That's why it's so important to be a part of these Sunday morning messages where God's Word is taught and to take notes and to take it with you. That's why it's so important to be a part of a home group where you spend part of your time engaged in the study of God's Word so that you can know what God has promised and you can start building your life on those 100% guaranteed promises instead of the way you wish things would work out. Finding the hope to cope means i got to trust God's Word more than my wishes. Number two, this might even be harder, trust God's timing over my timetable. If you want hope, you have to trust God's timing over my timetable. See, one of the barriers to hope in our life is that there are things that God has actually promised to us in His Word, but He hasn't done it yet. Anybody been in that situation? Maybe anybody could give a testimony this morning about how you're claiming one of God's promises and it ain't coming true. And let me just tell you, waiting on God is one of the hardest things you'll ever have to do. And if you're waiting on God, it's easy to lose hope. Some of you are there this morning. You know God has promised in his word to meet all your Needs and yet you're sitting there with a stack of bills that you can't pay. You know, God has promised to never leave you, to never forsake you, and yet every morning you wake up and He feels further away. Every day His voice is more and more silent. Every day it feels like your prayers don't go above the ceiling. Or maybe you're here this morning, you know, God has promised that He has a plan and a purpose. For your life. But you're getting towards the end of your life. And you don't see purpose. And you're wondering. What's up? Where's that promise? If that's you this morning. I'm convinced that God brought you here. To tell you to wait on his timing. In the Old Testament. There's a guy by the name of Abraham. And one day God just shows up to Abe out of the blue and promises that he will make him the father of a mighty nation that his descendants will be more numerous than the stars in the sky and the sands on the beaches what a great promise but i'm sure when abe heard that promise he was thinking well you better get jiggy with it god because i'm 75 years old and i don't even have one child my wife's getting a little older too how are we going to have a ch- how am I going to be the father of a mighty nation God says cuz I promise it. And you know what happened? After God made that promise to Abraham, absolutely nothing. Weeks turned to months, months turned to years, years turned to decades. In fact, it would be 25 years between the promise and the birth of Abraham's son Isaac, and yet look at what the Bible says, Hebrews 6.15, it says, Abraham did what? I didn't hear you, Abraham did what? He waited patiently for this to happen, and he received what God promised. Now, I was reading that this week, and when you first read it, it's like a hallelujah spiritual moment, but you spend a little time in that verse, and you realize there's some weird stuff going on. First of all, the fact that it says Abraham waited patiently. Go read the story in the Old Testament. Abe don't seem that patient to me. He's waiting on God. God don't come through. He takes matters into his own hands. His wife talks him into sleeping with her servant, and he has a son, only it's not the son of the promise because it's not what God planned. So I don't really see Abraham waiting that patiently, but you know what that tells me? That when I struggle to wait on God, when I run of him, run ahead of him, and mess it up, which always happens when I run ahead of God, even then, God's promises come true. You can't change God's promises by the bad decisions, choices, and mistakes you have made. The other thing that's really shocking to me is that verse would say that Abraham received the promise. It said, he received it. What was God's promise to Abraham? That he would have a son? No, the promise was his offspring would be as numerous as the stars in the sand on the beach. Guess what? When Abe died, his descendants could be numbered on your hands and feet. There were a small band of nomadic tribesmen who were going to have no impact on the world. Abraham died without seeing the promise fulfilled. you know what that tells me? You know what that helps me understand? Is that God has all eternity to fulfill His promises to me. God is not limited by the 60, 70, 80 years I spend on this earth. See, the hope of God is not just based on me experiencing those promises coming true, it's that knowing that God is faithful. those promises no matter what I don't or do experience here on this earth you got to trust God's timing and stop trusting in my timetable if I want to have hope then number three the third thing I have to do is trust God's purposes over my plans to trust God's purposes over my plans look hope and plans go together like peanut butter and jelly right so much of the hopes we have are based on the plans we've made we have a way in our mind of seeing how our life ought to go how things ought to turn out and when they don't turn out the way we plan we begin to lose hope and we say why bother Case Sarah Sarah why should I even try why not God's gonna do what he's gonna do It's gonna happen I have no impact or why should I even plan well look at what the Bible says Proverbs 16, 9. It says, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. What does that mean? It means that planning is good. We can make our plans. God created us with brains that can function in planning. We can plan. We should plan. But we have to recognize that God's purposes should be what direct my plan. See, here's what we do. Maybe it's just me that does it. You guys are way more spiritual than I am, but I have this tendency to try to squeeze God's purposes into my plans. God, I'm going to do this. This is what I want to do. This is where I'm going to go. Bless it. you know, Make it work out in your purposes. Help me do good things for you, but I've already made up my mind. Instead of building my plans on God's Purposes. There's a difference. And when your primary focus is fulfilling God's purpose for your life, then the success or failure of your plans will have no impact on the level of your hope. I'm convinced that's what's at the heart of this great promise of God from Romans eight twenty eight. God says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him and who have been called according to what? His purpose. See, I've had many things in my life that didn't go the way I planned it. There are many times my plans don't work out, but I've never, never once in my life had something happen to me that God could not use For his ultimate purpose for his greater glory so let me ask you this what unplanned event in your life could God use for his purposes I mean I know you weren't planning that divorce but could God use it for his purposes I know you weren't planning on that health issue but could God use it to show his strength in your weakness I know you weren't planning on that bankruptcy, but is there some way you could honor God with it? I know. I know you weren't planning on losing that loved one. But could God use it for His glory and your greater good? You bet your life He can. And, And when you trust God's purposes... More than you trust your plans, you will discover a hope that is deeper and more lasting than anything you could have ever planned for yourself. Finally, number four, the fourth thing we have to do to find hope to cope is you got to trust God's forgiveness in my failures. To trust God's forgiveness in my failures. And I'm going to tell you, this is so very important. Because we all got failures. We all got mistakes. We all got problems and issues in our past. And because of that, we all struggle with guilt and shame. Every day, in some way, some shape, some form, we struggle with guilt and shame. And let me tell you, guilt and shame are two of the greatest obstacles to hope there is, Because it's hard to be hopeful for the future when you're still stuck in the pain of the past. What is your source of guilt and shame this morning? Now, don't, I'm not going to make you stand up and confess it in front of everybody, but I do want you to identify it. I want you to recognize the source of your guilt and shame this morning. For some of you, it's what you've done. The mistakes you've made. For many of you, it's the things that other people have done to you. Whatever it is, the good news is that forgiveness is available for all of us in Christ. Whatever junk's in your trunk, whatever past you have, whatever brokenness or pain or chains you are in. Forgiveness is available in Christ, not because I say so, but because God promises it. Romans 8.1 it says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Circle that phrase, no condemnation. The reason I want you to circle that is because in the Greek language, the language that the New Testament was originally written in, the, the word that is used there is the strongest possible negative there is. It should be translated, there is never, ever, no, not, ever, ever, never, never going to be any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is the promise of God. But you see, that promise is conditional, right? That it's for those who are in Christ Jesus. In other words, you have to be in a personal, intimate relationship with the one who died for you. I'm not talking about a set of religious beliefs. I'm not talking about biblical knowledge of the Old Testament or the New Testament or the Gospels in Jesus' life. I'm not talking about some religious ritual or some confirmation class you've taken. I'm talking about a personal, intimate relationship where the events of Good Friday... Is the only way you can hope in the joy of Easter Sunday. When Christ's death on the cross is received personally for you, when you finally chuck enough of your pride to say, I can't do it on my own, I can't be good enough, I can't work hard enough, Jesus, I need your forgiveness. I admit. That I am a failure. I admit that I am a sinner and I need to receive the gift of your shed blood. Jesus died on the cross not as an example for you, but as a substitute for our sin. And unless you receive that, your promises will be condemnation. You will live forever with guilt and shame. You have to receive it yourself. Have you? Have you ever just had that moment where you've cried out to Him, asked for His forgiveness and asked Him to come into your life to transform you from the inside out, to make you a new creation, to walk with Him, to make Him the Lord, the leader, the CEO, to stop living for the Almighty I and to live your life for Him. If you've never done that before, I want to give you an opportunity. It's Easter season, no better time But before I do that, I want to close with these words of the last verse on your outline, Hebrews 7, 19. It says, but now, but now we have a far better hope for Christ makes us acceptable to God. You have a choice. Whoever you are, wherever you've been, wherever you're going, You have a choice. You can keep trying to find hope in yourself and in your circumstances, or you can choose to live in the far better hope that Jesus offers. So what are you going to do? What is your choice today? Would you pray with me? All of our campuses, just close your eyes for just a minute. It's not going to get weird. I'm not going to ask you to do anything, but I don't want you to get up and leave. I don't want you to hurry to get to lunch. I believe the Spirit of God himself is moving I know for some of you sitting in here this morning he is speaking directly to your heart and he's calling you to take that step of faith for the first time to surrender and call out to him and receive his substitutionary death on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins and to receive his spirit into your life to give you the power, the strength, and the direction you need to live for his purposes. And if that's you, you don't need some magical memorized prayer. You just need to cry out, Jesus, I need you. I don't understand all this, but I know I need you desperately. And just ask him, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I admit that I am a broken sinner in need of a Savior. And then just tell Him, Jesus, I want you to not only forgive me of my sins, but I want you to give me a new purpose, a new direction. A life lived following you, not empty and running after my own desires, my own dreams, and my own plans. If that's you this morning, we have prayer encouragers at all of our campuses. They'd love to talk with you. They'd love to connect with you. If you're not comfortable with that, just put a note. Just check a box on the little tear-off. Put it in the basket. Let us know. We we just want to pray for you by name. Maybe just reach out through a phone call and just see how we can help you take a next step of your faith journey many of you are here this morning you've taken that step of faith but you've recognized this morning God has spoken into your heart that you are living in a lesser hope that you are building your life on something less than his promises and his eternity and his purposes that's you this morning would you just pray like I have prayed all week God help me find your hope. Help me to have the courage to live in that hope. No matter how broken my heart is. No matter how painful my circumstances are. God, help me to live in your hope. Oh, we love you, Jesus. We need you. Move among your people right now. It's in your name we pray. Amen.